Hello and what's this week's sport zone on Salford City Radio and Rapaxin. And I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from the Devil Detail. Paul, first show in the new year. How was your Christmas and new year? Yeah, very good. Pretty busy at work, but I've got a bit of time off and a couple of days attached together here and there. So uh, so it was good. It was good and weather's not been too bad either. So not been overly overly busy. So um so yeah it was nice to have a bit of time with the family, watching a bit of sport as well. I caught up watched quite a bit of football and this sat and a bit of boxing as well and uh, saw a bit of the darts and yeah it's been a, it's been a good time really Rob. It's uh, it's been okay. I've I've enjoyed it and then looking forward to the the new year now and a new rugby league season coming up, but we've got a lot to talk about anyway, haven't we, with all the FA Cup things and that. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be another busy year in of sport in Salford. Yeah, lots to go out as well. Lots happened uh, between Christmas and New Year. We'll start with Salford City. They sacked uh, manager Neil Woods uh, over the period. Obviously, not had a great season with Salford City. Six wins in the last 23 games in 2023. Uh, Paul, obviously, the writing was on the wall for him. Yeah, they've had a bit of a dismal run, really, haven't they? And um, you know, some some heavy defeats, and and some of the games at home they've been they've been well beaten as well, haven't they? So um, so yeah, it's been disappointing, and obviously the the people in charge of the club have uh, have obviously made the decision now. But uh, I think I think something had to be done because they just seem to be going around in circles at the moment, don't they? So. Um, so yeah, new manager coming in now, and and they'll be hoping for a response. But at the moment, they're uh, they're only just above the the relegation zone. I think one place above, and the two teams near the bottom are sort of cut adrift at the moment. But a couple of uh, defeat, more defeats, and you get sucked into that bottom two. Yeah, obviously, you know we, we talk about Salford City's sort of rise uh, through the football league, and obviously struggled in the last couple of seasons, not being able to continue with that momentum. No, and I think it'd be disaster if they were to drop back out into the national league because we've seen how, how that league is such a tough league to get back out of um, and to get back into the football league. So there's some some really good sides in that league, and it's so competitive now. You know, Rochdale are down there, Oldham are in there as well, uh, amongst others, and they're finding it tough to to come back out of there. So I think if you do fall through that trapdoor, you're not sort of guaranteed to come back up again. So. You could be down there for a number of years, so the the money that Salford City have spent, I think it's imperative now that they that they stay in that league and and, and build on that, and you know and, and see where they can go. But you, you drop back out again, and it's like going back to square one, isn't it? So I think it's imperative now, as I said, that they do well this season. And you, you, you're not going to set targets now, say, oh, we're going to go for this, we're going to go for that. I think for them now, it's just get away from that relegation zone and uh, you know, pick up some wins. Yeah, and obviously with the with the class of ninety two involved, there's extra pressure in the obviously with the the big names there invested in Salford all them years ago, and mm-hmm. they had dreams of, of going through the football league, and uh, obviously getting into the like you say the football league is a difficult situation, and even staying there can be even more difficult at times. Yeah, it certainly can. You know, there's some sides in there that have been there for for, for years, haven't they? And they? They know how to play, and I think when you look at the the national league. And the the sort of leagues outside the football league, I think there's a big, a big gulf between the leagues. Um, you know, if you you're in that national league, even the even the conference league, the Vanarama, is it the Vanarama League or whatever yep. they call it these days? I think that that to move from that to to League Two is a big big step. 
you know, it's a big, big step to go up. And then you sort of League Two to League One's a massive step as well. You know, size that do go up from League Two to League One, it's very difficult for them to stay in that League One. You know, you, you sort of see a bit of a of a, of a yo-yo, really, don't you? Sides coming up and coming back down again. So um, that's the same throughout the football league, though. You, you're same with your Premier League and your Championship. I think it's difficult for sides to consolidate in the league above because of the the financial restraints and things like that. So that that happens right down the pyramid in football, doesn't it? So you know, Salford have done well the last few seasons to sort of consolidate and stay in the, the football league. But as I said before, you don't want to fall back out of it. So um, you know, I think the first job for the new manager will be to to build confidence, you know, and get some victories and and, and start building from the bottom really, and uh, you know, get you know get the smiles back on the players' faces because you get beat every week. It doesn't have to drain the confidence and. Mm. Uh, you know, they're on a real bad run at the moment. Yeah, new manager has come in, Carl Robinson, ex-Oxford United, ex-MK Dons. He will want him to sort of stem the uh, the defeats and, and get Salford going in the right direction. Yeah, I think he's served his apprenticeship, really. I, mean, I don't remember him playing much league football, but he was very good in the sort of amateur leagues, wasn't he? He had a lot of clubs there, Prescott Cave, I think he was at, and St. Helens and Warrington and a few other sort of towns that are probably not known for football. Um, not league football anyway, but he certainly as a as a manager, you know, his time at MK Dons did a good job there. So um so I'm sure he's been earmarked for the job and they'll have done the homework on him as well. He's quite a vocal character as well. Quite a young manager and you know and a guy that's um they probably looked at him and thought he could be the guy to to sort of um, you know lay the law down really if you like and you know stamp his authority on the club because I think that's what the club needs at the moment. I think it just needs a manager to come in and say you know I'm the gaffer I'm in charge you know you do as I say sort of thing and you know no more messing about let's 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 get some results because there's no doubt that that Salford City team has got some good players in that side. There's some talent in there, but it's about getting the best out of those players, isn't it? So no use having you know. A big squad and a, and a big League Two squad. If you can't get the best out of them, so um, I'm sure uh, he'll be the man uh, to to do that job. Yeah, currently sit 21st in the uh, the division, the Skybet League Two. Uh, Paul, obviously, like you said, got a six point gap uh, at the moment. Forest Green, who they drew two two with at uh, the weekend, uh, are in relegation uh, places. Forest Green and Sutton United. So important that Salford City uh, get back to winning ways quickly. Obviously, with the way the uh, the leagues are set out, couple of wins, couple of defeats, your you know place in the division can change. He certainly can. I think the disappointing thing at the weekend was he struggled to get a draw against Forest Green. You know, Forest Green was a miles better side in that game for, for long, long periods. And it was only a sort of injury time penalty that, that saved it for Salford. It was quite controversial. There was a couple of players sent off, you know, one from either side as well. So they were lucky to get that result. And, um, you know, that, that says a lot that, you know, you're playing a really side of the relegation zone at home and, and you're struggling. So I think it is, it's a kick up the backside, I think, that the players need. Because, you know, the alarm bells need to start ringing now because if there weren't any urgency about them, there should be now because, you know, you are struggling to put, put results together. I think they conceded an awful lot of goals as well. They're leaking goals. They need to tighten things up and, and, and just start from the basics, really, because, like we say, it only takes Forest Green to get a couple of results. And, and then you're looking right down the barrel and, you know, as you come towards the end of the season now. So, you know, weather's getting colder as well. Games might get postponed. They pick a few wins up where you've not had a, had a game because you've been postponed. Then you're, you're playing games in hand and things like that. And it can spiral out of control, can't it? So for Salford now, they need to get some wins and get that breathing space again. 
Yeah, I think the frustration uh, for Carl Robinson, his first game in charge, he was sent off by the referee as well, obviously. You know, obviously pressure and, and tension obviously got to him. Yeah, it did. It did. But the, the good thing for him, I suppose, was they didn't get beat. They dug in there and they got a draw out of it, didn't they? Whether it was controversial or not, they, they got a point. They're unbeaten under him, you know, sort of one game. But it's a building block. It's something to start from. So you book the trend of defeats because it was a bad run of defeats, wasn't it? I think, was it Tranmere Rovers beat them quite as I think Grimsby yeah. Town um, stuffed them as well, didn't they? At home, they've been losing games at home as well. So that's been the disappointing thing. So, so yeah, he's got that that draw now. And, uh, you know, some other tough fixtures coming up as well. I know this, this weekend coming, they've got a tough game, haven't they? Yeah, Crawley away. Uh, Crawley are competing for a playoff spot um, so it'll be obviously a difficult situation but they are away a new coach uh, will hopefully inspire them on great things yeah that's another tough trip as well isn't it Crawley I think that's like South London that is quite away isn't it from here so be a, a long journey on a coach uh, I presume so no chance for the players a bit of bonding there and a bit of siege mentality I'm sure that's what what Carl Robinson will want to bring to the side you know and let's go down there and I think the important thing is to come away from there and get something you know, if they did, if they get a point, a point's a good result down there against a playoff chase inside. So uh, I think they want to keep it as tight as they can. You know, you stop conceding goals uh, willy nilly like they have been doing, and uh, and see what they can come up with down there. Yeah. So let's move on to Manchester City, uh, Paul. Um, world champions now after their uh, win uh, against Fudevedi four nil. Pep Guardiola conquers the world. Manchester. City. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, it's been a funny few weeks or a few months, really, in the, in the domestic things, hasn't it? They've come up with a few defeats, haven't they, and seen themselves sort of drop off the, the top of the Premier League. And they've not, not been top dogs, have they, so far this season? But, you know, to win that, that World Championship, and not many sides have done that. There's one or two have done it before, but I think it's another trophy, it's another feather in the cap. And, you know, it's another um, another thing for Pep Guardiola. So good for the supporters as well. It's a nice, nice fit to say you're the, the champions of the world, isn't it? But uh, back to domestic things now. And, and they, they've got some tough games coming up, you know, Champions League as well. There's an awful lot to go at this season. Got a good title um, chase on as well, you know, with the, the likes of Aston Villa up there, Arsenal up there, Liverpool. There's a, there's a real chase on for that premiership. Mm. Where do you rate this Man City team compared to the other footballing greats, the likes of Man United of the of the nineties, the Liverpool of the seventies and the eighties, uh, all sort of dominant in their own time? But where do you think you know this Pep Guardiola team stands? Oh, I think they're good, Rob. I think they're a good side when they when they when they when they click. I think they still seem to have that Manchester City sort of trait of coming up with the odd howler result, don't they? But I think the the proof will be in the pudding now towards the back end of the season. What Manchester City are very, very good at, Pep Guardiola is very good at, is once they get after Christmas, they seem to come on like a train, don't they? Mm. And, you know, January, February, March, they don't lose many matches, or they haven't in the last couple of years. And that's what's been taking them to that title. So now is going to be the big test in the new year. You've got games coming thick and fast, as I said, the FA Cup, the Champions League. You know, you, you're playing Tuesday, Saturday, or Wednesday, Sunday, or whatever. So um, there's going to be a lot to play for now. But I know I think they've got you've got to say they're right up there, Rob, because they've they've won they've won trophies. Um, all right, they've only won one European Cup, whereas United won a couple, and Liverpool have won four or five, haven't they? So uh, Liverpool won five. I think I better get that right. And I think they've won <laughs> five, haven't they? So uh, so yeah, I, I think you've got to compare them up there. I think they've they've done very very well, haven't they? So um, and and they don't they don't seem like slowing down either. So uh, so yeah, I think I think they're right up there. Yeah, 
They've won the last three in the row at Premier Leagues. Uh, Pop Guardiola talking about making it four. Obviously, no Premier League team has ever won four Premier Leagues in a row. Man United won three um, in a row. So I think Pep Guardiola has uh, the you know the opportunity and the drive to make history with Manchester City and make it four. Yeah, I think they'd like to do that four, wouldn't they? And, and just to say they've done it you know, four times in a row, they beat Manchester United. Because that Manchester United side that Alex Ferguson had, Sir Alex Ferguson had, um, you know, they they were a champion side, weren't they? I mean, we can talk about Liverpool before that. and You know, United were, you know, for a, for a long period of time, were, were top dogs in England, weren't they? Entertainers, you know, some some great wins, some memorable wins as well. I think if you if you look back to like FA Cup games, that semi-final at um, Villa Park and things like that, and obviously the Champions League final, the games that stick out in your memory. Manchester City might have won a lot of Premier Leagues at the moment, but they don't always stick in your memory. Obviously, of course, the, the Aguero moment does, but I think United have still got those 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 memorable wins, haven't they, that, you, that sort of spring to mind. So I think Manchester City want to create more of that, and I'm sure they will do. And and yeah, they'll be gunning for that that four in a row, and then and then probably five in a row next season. But as I just mentioned before, I think they've got the work cut out this season. It's, it's it's tough that Premier League this season, and you know you've got some some sides in there who are picking points up and being very very consistent. Arsenal seem to have dropped off the last few weeks around Christmas. They lost a couple of games back to back, didn't they? You know, games they probably weren't expected to lose. West Ham and, and Fulham, I think it was. So um, so yeah, they, they they've knocked off a bit, but. Like I said, now Manchester City are the side now that need to grab the, the ball by the arms and go for it. That's what they tend to do. So be interesting next couple of weeks to see how they go. Mm, they've won five of the last six with Liverpool uh, winning the odd one of them. Uh, Man City currently sit fourth in the uh, first division uh, champions uh, table with Everton with nine uh, first place finishes. And it kind of shows sort of how far they've come. Uh, with Arsenal being a third with 13. So they'd have to win four more to catch them. But anything could happen with Pep Guardiola in charge. Yeah, he certainly can. And, and they, they've shown that now. You know, they, They've got the financial clout as well to bring players in if there's somebody available at the end of the season or, or whatever. They, they'll strengthen again, won't they, as well. So there's, there's no doubt about that. Plus, they've got some good youngsters coming through. Um, you know, a fantastic setup there at the Etihad. So, you know, they're they're one of the top runners now, aren't they? Well, they are. You know, literally are. They're probably the top side in in this country, aren't they? So, uh, so they're going to take some stopping. But like I said before, you've got Liverpool, United. Well, not so much United this season, but Liverpool, Arsenal, Villa are doing exceptionally well. But they probably just lack a bit of consistency. I think a big one for them was the Manchester United game, wasn't it? A couple of weeks ago, two 0 up, and they they blew it, didn't they? So um, they've still got those frailties. But I think City. You're going to take some stop in the season, even though they're not top of the table at the moment. Yeah, City play Newcastle at weekend, and obviously Newcastle, you know, at the top of the the Premier League, roundabout battling away. Obviously, all the money being put into that club and they're competing at the top in the Champions League. It's going to be a big test for Pep Guardiola. Yeah, Newcastle seem to have dropped off though the last couple of months, don't they? I know there was a lot of pressure on them at the weekend in the FA Cup when they visited the stadium. I like to play Sunderland in that big derby game. And, you know, I was reading a bit in the press that Eddie Howe, the manager, was under pressure. I don't think the supporters were in that frame of mind. I think they're right behind him. But 
obviously when you spent money and you 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 lose matches, you know, inevitably those questions get asked. But he came up with a good win against a, a young Sunderland side. It was you have to be said they've got some talented players there. But you know Newcastle did a professional job, three 0 victory, and uh, they'll be looking to start climbing that Premier Premier League table again because they're not a million miles away from the top four either themselves. So they're only just behind United. So it's um, there's still a lot to play for for them. So that'll be a tough game for City. Mm. I'd say is there a slight disconnect between. Newcastle's hierarchy wanting to make Newcastle a really big club in in the national and international scene, uh, and the fans who have experienced you know all the the heartache of being a Newcastle fan through all the years, and now they've they found a bit of success. They're competing at the top. Fans in Newcastle would have only dreamt of that five years ago. Yeah, I think the supporters are probably a bit more realistic than the owners sometimes, aren't they? And um, I think in Eddie Howe, they've got a good manager, a good man manager, a young manager as well. And they probably want to stick with him because when you think about it, there's there's not a... I don't think we've got loads and loads of good managers, have we? So sometimes you, when you find one, you want to stick hold of him because, you know, teams can be like merry-go-rounds, can't they? Sacking managers left, right and centre. I mean, Manchester United, for example, I mean, how many managers have had since Sir Alex Ferguson? Mm. And they've still not got things right. So... If Newcastle have got things right with Eddie Howe and they're just going through a bit of a bumpy spell, you get rid of him, you bring somebody else in and then it can take months, 12 months to get things right with that manager. So I don't think it's always the right thing to do. You know, give the guy a chance. He's building something there and just have a bit of patience with him. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, was it? You know, Newcastle, it's going to take time to build build the squad and, and they're doing it slowly but surely. He's getting his own players in and, and, and building season after season. I think that's the way to go. But, you know, in football these days, you you don't seem to get that time that, that you need, do you? Mm, I was thinking that. Is there much patience in football? It's a results-led industry. You win, you you know, the king of the cop. Everyone wants to, to be uh, following you. And, and obviously, a couple of feats, everyone wants you in the bin. So it's a bit, you know, pressure involved in that, obviously. Especially if you want to be uh, like the likes of Newcastle, where you're trying to break into that sort of top three, top four, uh, and sort of make it that you're seen differently in the year football world. Yeah, I think it's a mistake that gets made time and time again, doesn't it? By by sort of chairman and owners pressing that panic button and pressing the ejector seat, if you like, and getting rid of the manager. And you know, nobody seems to learn, do they? So perhaps you know, sometimes it is. You know, just take the take the uh, the foot off the throat and just just give somebody a chance because it can be sort of two steps forward and four steps back, can't it? When you when you get rid of somebody and you bring somebody in, and he brings his own staff in and he takes time to to adjust and then they go through the the sort of uh, transition phase, don't they? Then before you know it, another season's gone. So so yeah, I think sometimes you got a bit of patience, don't you? And I think patient owners. You know, probably the the right way to go, but like you said, it's a results based business. I think the the world seems to to run like that now. Every single sport seems to be like that. But uh, perhaps we should learn from our mistakes and just give people a bit of time. Yeah, and also the fact that there isn't a massive amount of quality managers around. So if you are to you know get rid of of you know Eddie Howe, um, who comes in and replaces him? Who's going to take Newcastle to that next level? I think you know a lot of thought has to go into that because obviously you don't want the likes of what happened with Manchester City where new owners came in and then you had three or four managers trying to get this uh, 
right mix before Pep Guardiola got involved. Well, that's right. There's not a lot of Pep Guardiolas around, is there? No. You know, let's have it right. There's not many coaches that are absolutely world class like that. So Manchester City were very, very lucky to get older Pep, weren't they? And um, you know, he seems to be the right fit for them. And sometimes that's what sports like. Certain managers aren't the right fit for certain clubs, are they? I mean, take David Moyes for example. Should he have been allowed a bit more time at Manchester United? Because since he's left there and he's gone back to West Ham, he seems to have done a really good job there, and he seems the right fit for for West Ham. Was he the right fit for Manchester United? We'll probably never know, will we? But I think, I think managers can be like that sometimes, can't they? You know, certain clubs they they, they can be great. I think if you go down the leagues, you look at um, John Coleman at Accrington, been there for absolutely donkey's years. Left, went to Rochdale for a season, couldn't win an argument at Rochdale. Went back to Accrington, <laughs> got promoted, and he's doing great again. So he's he's a great fit for for that for that club and. He just seems to, to work there for him. And I think it's happened before, hasn't it, with managers? They've left the club and gone back to the club and it's not worked out. So, yeah, I think I think it's horses for courses sometimes. And there's just there's just certain managers that fit into to certain things. I mean, Brian Clough, for example, was at Derby County, did a tremendous job. I know we're going back some years here now. Goes to Leeds where he's got loads of money. It doesn't work for him because for whatever reason, the players don't get on with him. Then he goes to Nottingham Forest, fits in there, wins two European Cups. So he, he can't have been a bad manager when he was at Leeds. But, you know, the history tells the story, doesn't it? But I think there's something in that. I think certain managers sort of fit in, don't they? They, they, they slot into to certain places. Mm, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Let's move on to Manchester United. Um, a very mixed um, Christmas period. Uh, two defeats, one victory. Uh, the victory was at Old Trafford, where they came down, came back from two 0 down to to Aston Villa. Um, Ten Hag under pressure, maybe. Yeah, well, when you think about it, um, when Sir Alex Ferguson first came on to Manchester United, I know I use him as an example a lot, but I think there was a game where was it a cup game where he, they sort of said they'd sack him if they hadn't won that yeah. game. And, and they went and won it, didn't they? And maybe that game against Aston Villa was Ten Hag's sort of game where he could have gone if they'd have lost that game. Because they were being shown up in that game, weren't they? 2-0 by Villa. And if you read some of the stuff on social media, they were the, the supporters weren't happy one bit. But then you storm back and win the game 3-2. But then you look at the t- next two games after that, they've lost both. Mm. They've lost two games, you know, the other two games, the Forest game and there's another match as well, wasn't there? So if he had lost that game to Villa, could that have been curtains for him? It could have been. The the game you're talking about is not an Forest. Mark Robbins scored the winner yeah. for uh, Ferguson's men, who <coughs> then went on to win the FA Cup that year, beating Crystal Palace. But I do agree with you. Pressure is building. But like we said about Newcastle and Eddie Howe, <coughs> who comes in? Who who is out there who can manage Manchester United? Currently sit eighth in the Premier League. A lot of talk about players uh, and not being good enough to play for Manchester United. I'm one of them people. I don't particularly blame Ten Hag and, and what he's, you know, his ways. I personally think the responsibility and the blame lies truly with the players that Manchester United have. Too many players have come in who aren't of the Manchester United standard. And that is why we are where we are. A mishmash of different players under different coaches coming in and Ten Hag has to mould this team together and 
we saw what he did with Ajax uh, a few years ago and, and the way his team manoeuvred around and, and the way it played. This Man United team is miles off that. So I don't think you can blame him. Uh, don't forget last season, he, you know, he, he did quite well, you know, with the uh, with the uh, the cup success and, and all that. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult role. But like I said before, with football, it's a results business and pressure will build if he doesn't continue to win. Well, yeah, I think you've got um, the new guy that's coming now, haven't you, Jim Radcliffe, and, yep. and the guy from the cycling, uh, is it Bra- Brailsford, the, the, the man who's the cycling and whatever. So he, they're, they're looking at things and, and I suppose they'll look at new strategies and training regimes and diets and God knows what, won't they? Because he was a performance guy at cycling, wasn't that? that um, is it David Brailsford, his name? Yep. Was, yeah, so I mean, I know he's not a particularly football man, is he? But I think they want to use his sort of knowledge of, you know, procedures and training and things like that. So surely Eric Ten Hag will be given this season. You know, I think it'd be stupid to, to get rid of him now. You need to give the... He still needs time, doesn't he, you know, to build that side. Like you said, I think there's a lot of players at Manchester United that aren't good enough. And I think there's a lot of players that attitudes at Manchester United aren't good enough. You know, the skills come second. I think the attitude comes first. And, you know, some players there, do they want to be there? Do they, re- do they realise who they're playing for? Sometimes, you know, you're playing in front of 70-odd thousand people at Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and you need to perform, you need to have that attitude to go out there and go for every ball and, and, and absolutely work your tripe out, you go give 100% every week, and I think there's players there that, that don't do that, and, you know, I think steal, stealing a living is the, is a strong word, but sometimes you've got to question people, their, their attitudes and their morals. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think, like you say, with players coming out of contract, like Sir Martial and, and, and Varane, who've come on, you know, big money, um, and have they really produced for Manchester United? Does Hentag trust them enough to, to, to move forward with them in the squad? I don't think he does, Paul. I, I think he looks at this Man United squad and there isn't enough quality in his eyes for the way he wants to play. And it is difficult. He only has what he has. He can only do what he can do with, with what he has, especially with the financial fair play. You can't go and throw another £100 million at the problem without having to get people out of the door. And the problem with that people who are on big contracts who want to be shown the door might not necessarily leave because they're not getting the same kind of deal uh, elsewhere, which then questions how they got such a big deal at Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. And they, they become difficult to offload as well, don't they? Mm. So, um, so yeah, it's difficult to trim that squad. It's difficult to get the, that, that side that you want. And it can take a long time to, to build that side and, and get those players in every position. And, you know, when they played... I'm talking like the 90s here when Sir Alex had the, such a good side there. The, the team sort of picked itself really, didn't it? You know, every week it was the same players every week. And I don't think you could ever question the attitude and the efforts of those players. You know, that's a Roy Keane, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes. These sort of players were, were 100%, weren't they, every, every single week and, and very, very consistent as well. And you look back at those Manchester United days and how many games did United used to lose at home? Then They never used to get beat at home. Mm. Team, teams went there and they didn't get anything, did they? Old Trafford. Very, very rare that they drop any points there. Whereas now it's it's been like a free-for-all, really. Teams have been coming and, and rolling them over. They've been so inconsistent. It's uh, It's been unbelievable. I've never known in my lifetime and your lifetime, I don't think we've ever known a Manchester United team to be as inconsistent. So 
Um, let's hope that Tenkai gets time to to build that side and, and get every single player in that he wants, whether it takes 12 months or two years. Um, I think they'd be very, very foolish to to, to get rid of him and, and, and start all over again because I think that would be, be, be another delay and another big step backwards. Yeah, I suppose it comes with a belief. Teams come to Old Trafford uh, and they know they can outplay Manchester United and then they go on the front foot, they attack Man United when I think in the the Fergie years, people were beaten before they sat on the pitch. They walked into that tunnel and saw the likes of David Beckham and Roy Keane and Rude Madnister Roy and all them top players, Andy Cole, Dwight York, and, and realised that they weren't going to get anything today when now they look at that Man United team and, and think there's nothing to be afraid of, which is a which is a real problem uh, for Ten Hag because you need to be able to invest to bring a better quality of play. But the way this financial fair play is, it may be when it was the Fergie years, that probably wasn't as big of an issue because Man United could go and spend £40 million on a player from a sort of an inferior team. But now, because everybody's sort of lush with money, uh, maybe they can't go and buy that player, uh, which is a big problem. Yeah, it can be. I think that that sort of um, invincibility is, is is eroded away, hasn't it, over, uh, over the years since Fergie has, has gone. You know, teams have gone there and there's not been that fear factor that there used to be. You know, teams used to turn up there, like you said, I think they were beaten before they went out, weren't they? You know, they saw Sir Alex in the tunnel, you know, and he's probably scary enough when you see him nosing about the corridors outside the changing rooms. But when you see some of those players as well that are in that side and, you know, it, it, no, that, that invincibility seems to have gone. And, you know, I don't think teams are as frightened to go to Old Trafford. I mean, I, I've never been to Old Trafford and watching a Manchester United match, so I, I don't know what the atmosphere is like and whether the crowd's different now or whether they're a bit more apprehensive. I'm not too sure, but um, it doesn't seem the cauldron that it used to be. Like I said, you know, it was very rare teams got a draw there. You know, they, they, they seem to win every week, didn't they? So, so no, I, I don't know. But I, I do think there's, there's there's been a bit of an attitude problem at Manchester United. You know, you'll be able to tell better than me over that. I mean, we, we've discussed this before off air, haven't we, about certain players that, that don't seem to put it in every week. And I don't know what the answer is, really, to be honest with you, Rob, because it just seems to be the biggest downfall at the moment is the sort of inconsistency. The, you know, like the Villa game we just mentioned there, 2-0 down. Yeah, they come back and win the game 3-2. So a great, a great win against a side who were near the top of the table. Then you got Nottingham Forest and get beat. So it's a glorious win against Villa and then a poor performance at a lower side like, like Forest. It, it, it must be so frustrating as a manager. Mm, I think this Man United team is really a mirror of the Man United team of the late 80s, early 90s that would go and beat... Uh, Liverpool, go and beat Arsenal uh, and then lose to Queen's Park Rangers at home or Bournemouth at home. And that's why they never won the championship until Fergie managed to get his, his act together uh, in sort of the mid-90s because they would drop points against teams that they should win. And really, it is a difficult situation because back then, you know, well documented about, you know, the trials and tribulations that Ferguson had with the likes of Brown Robson, Paul McGrath, Norman Whiteside and the booze culture that was, was in the, the club at the time. Now, different kind of culture. Obviously, they're all athletes, but it's all about, really, it's about the money and, and whether players are motivated. I'm not qu- quite sure how Ten Hag can fix that because, obviously, players are all on lots of money and it's about making them 
be motivated to play. Uh, and I don't really know how you can motivate players uh, who are on a, a shed load of money and there's there's no like drive for them. And that's the problem, I think, with Manchester United at the moment. Yeah, it makes you wonder whether it will need another sort of, maybe not a class of 92, because 92 is gone, but a class of, I don't know, 25, you know, 2020, you know, to bring players through homegrown talent and perhaps they'll want it just a bit, a little bit more than the, than the players that are there now. And if you can bring, I mean, those sort of things only seem to come along once in a lifetime, really, don't they? So when you get a group of players like that, um, it'd be great if that did happen, but we'll have to we'll have to watch this space but yeah there definitely seems to be something not quite right at the moment mm. and obviously with, with Jim Radcliffe now involved behind his 25% of the club like you said he, he's concentrating on the football side which is the important side the, the side that, that most fans are interested in and you know, he wants to win trophies and, and take Manchester United to that next level. We talk about the Glazers and their ownership of the club and how the fans are upset about their involvement but it's a start with him coming in, taking his 25% uh, and he can build from there. Well, yeah, I don't think the Glazers are, are, are particularly football men, are they? I don't think they're experts on, on, on the sport. I'm not, I don't know how much Jim Jim Ratcliffe is an expert. I presume he knows a bit more than the Glazers. Grown up with the sport, hasn't he? And being a United fan as well, I think. So perhaps he's going to concentrate on that side. And As you said, as we mentioned before about the Brailsford, the, 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 the cycling guy, Obviously, he's a very performance-driven person in sport, and and the knowledge he's got that it might just be little things that that he alters. You know, as I said before, little things with the training or or things that they do outside the game. But that that could be something that you know, it, all these little percentages add up, don't they? At the end of the day, your training, your sleep patterns, your eating patterns, it all adds up to to the athlete that is the player. So if you can get that that sort of formula right, it, it should have some sort of improvement. Yeah, talking about players who have departed, uh, Jaden Sancho uh, possibly moving to Borussia Dortmund on loan. Obviously, had a bit of an issue with Ten Hag, um, not played for a while. Uh, he wants to get his career back under, back in uh, you know the highest level. Not quite worked out at Man United for various different reasons, but obviously, hopefully, uh, you know, a clean break uh, will help both Man United and him. Well, that's right. Yeah, if, if he's not getting game time at Old Trafford and. You know, he's a youngest player and he wants to get game time elsewhere. It could be best for both parties if he moves on and gets some money for him as well, whether it's a loan move or, or whatever. So, uh, if he's not playing under Ten Hag, I think, you know, it's, it's probably time for him to, to, to go. Yeah, and that's the problem. Obviously, he came to Manchester United, you know, being the big hope. And for me, he never delivered. And obviously, he's an England international. Um, in Germany, he was a big success. Uh, and he probably thought he'd come to United and, and set the Premier League alight. And it didn't quite happen for him, whether it was him or whether it was the, the club he was involved in. It's probably a frustration for him too. That's right. That's right. I think once you, as a player, you sign for somebody like Manchester United, you've made it really, haven't you? You know, as a, as a player, it doesn't get much bigger, does it? So, uh, I think if you if you don't perform for a club like that, you're always going to have regrets, aren't you? And disappointments, because uh, it's a fantastic opportunity. So, um, there's no doubt he'll be disappointed about that and, and wanting to get his career back on track. Mm. And another player that's on his way out is Donny van der Beek. He's gone to, on loan to Ein Frank Frankfurt. Obviously, uh, another sort of frustrated individual had success with Ajax uh, with uh, Ten Hag not quite managed to do that at Manchester United whether that was him or whether it was a club you know he's obviously wanting to go uh, to Germany to restart his career 
Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. And and sometimes that's what players need, don't they? And uh, if it's not worked out at Old Trafford for him, it, that could be the perfect opportunity for him to go back there and and, and restart and rebuild his career because uh, you know sometimes that's what it takes, doesn't it? Mm. And obviously. Hannibal, Linda Love and Wamba Sakari extending their deals to 2025. For me, though, are them three players going to take Man United back to the promised land of Premier League and European Cup uh, success? Uh, maybe Hannibal. I'm not sure whether Wamba Sakari and, and Linda Love are the quality we need, but that's an automatic extension um, for one year. So maybe it gives another year opportunity to put the case forward to state the club. That's right. Yeah, like you said, the, you know, the, the proof will be in, in the next sort of 12, 12, 18 months, won't it? So I'm sure Ten Hag will, will watch those players and if they're not quite up to, to spec or up to what he wants, then they'll be moved on and, and someone else will be brought in. I, I, I still think Eric Ten Hag will, will want to bring other players in. and It does take time to get your perfect sort of such 11 players now is it it's a squad isn't it but I think it still takes time to get that sort of 11 to be your your 11 that you want and I don't think he's quite got that yet has he so he does does need a bit more time he does does take time to build the side doesn't it Mm. and Spurs at home uh, weekend obviously a big game Spurs you know competing at the top like Man United they they need to beat the likes of Spurs to stay in that uh, you know touch and distance of the top four yeah, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion at the moment. Like we've just spoke about the, the defeats recently, you know, the West Ham game and the, the Forest game. They've been matches that Manchester United over the years, you know, would would have won, you know, not so comfortably, but you know, they'd have got the result when they got the job done and at the moment they're not getting that job done. They do seem very, very vulnerable. They're conceding goals as well, aren't they? So, you know, Tottenham are not frightened to, to knock the ball about, are they? So you know, we, we've seen them in some good games this season, in particular when they played Manchester City. I was impressed with them. So, so they're not going to be easy to beat. So that's the game they need to be on, you know, on 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 point to to win it. And defense has got to be a bit tighter than it's been. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, let's move on to the boxing. Uh, Anthony Joshua beat Otto Wallin uh, over the Christmas period. What do you make of that fight? Yeah, I think it was a, a fight Anthony Joshua had to win. You know, we've all seen his sort of frailties over the last couple of fights, and you know he's he's lost that sort of invincibility that he had. You know, on that knockout machine that he had, and had to change his style a bit, really, or did change his style a bit for a, for a few fights. And he's had a couple of defeats as well, and people starting to question him, question his chin, and question his confidence as well. And I think. When you do get those defeats, you, you start to question yourself, don't you? Am I still good enough? Can I can I do it? And uh, I thought he put in a great performance on the 23rd of December. Um, totally um, well blasted his opponent. Really looked looked like the old Anthony Joshua, that juggernaut that we used to see. And you know, threw some fantastic punches. He, he looked good as well. He, he looked sharp. He moved well. I thought he defended well, and, and he was never really in trouble in that fight. So I think that's going to give him a lot of confidence now going forward into 2024. Where does that put him in the hierarchy of boxing uh, after that win? Oh, he's still up there now. I think he's right there for a world title shot now. There's no doubt about that. He's um, he's looking at fighting. I think Eddie Hearn's got a Miyamata to fight the uh, MMA lad that fought, um, is it Nganu, the guy who fought um, Fury. So I think that's his next fight up. And then after that, I think, you know, come the summertime, he'll, he'll be up there for, uh, for a world title fight then, whether that's against Tyson Fury or Alexander Usyk, I'm not too sure, because obviously they're facing off against each other soon. So he, he's right back in that mix now. There's no doubt about that. What do you think he needs to do to get to that 
sort of next level. Just keep winning. Just just win your next fight. Take each fight as it comes. We, we, you know, heavyweight boxing is you're only one punch away from greatness, aren't you? And you're only one punch away from the end of your career. So, you know, it's that explosive and, and you know, some of the punches that these guys land can, can win it all or finish it all, can't it? So I think he's still right up there. I think that win has given him a lot of confidence now to, to get back to the way he used to box. And, and that sort of top five, top ten in the world, he's changing all the time. And we'll probably talk about the other fight that was on that bill, you know, the Joseph Parker and Deontay Wilder fight. I've never seen Deontay Wilder sort of dismantle like that against anybody. And we've seen him fight Tyson Fury a couple of times and he never really got put away like that. So that's put um, put Parker right into that top five now. So he could be getting a world title shot again. Would, would he fight Anthony Joshua again? I think that'd be a great fight, Parker against Joshua. So there's all sorts of, of conundrums now and um, and sort of fights that can be made between these guys. And this, and you've got, you got Zhang as well, the... Uh, the guy over there who, who's, who's had some good results and the Chinaman. So he's got his whole country and billions of people behind him. So he's another very, very dangerous man. You've got Tyson Fury in there as well. You know, um, the Dubois knocking on the door. There's some some great fights out there for 2024. Now it's, it's really, really stacked sort of um, heavyweight competition. Mm. Tell me about the Deontay Wilder lost to Josie Parker. Talk me through that fight. Yeah, I, I thought Deontay Wilder looked looked very thin he, he looked very very thin around his legs and looked quite spindly at times and, and looked vulnerable I've never seen him like that before And but Joseph Parker let me tell you this I thought it was the fight of his life so far I mean I've always admired Parker he's, he's not the massive heavyweight you know you look at some of the heavyweights you've got Tyson Fury Joshua we're talking 17, 18, 19, 20 stone plus aren't we Whereas Parker's probably pushes about 16 stone. He's not the biggest at all. And, you know, um, he's probably just pushes over cruiserweight, really. So he's one of the smallest heavyweights out there. And he's got an awful lot of heart, though. You know, he really has and um, gets his country behind him as well. And a lot of a lot of rugby league players are good friends with Joseph Parker. The last fight I saw him, there was quite a lot of uh, old ex-players in the crowd like cheering him on. So he's he's very well-liked, man. And yeah, that fight against Deontay Wilder, he really got on top of his opponent. He got that big right hand going uh, over the top and, and, and Wilder couldn't deal with it. You know, he couldn't get out of his way and Parker was just landing that punch at will. And and, and for me, Wilder was, was bombarded by Parker and overawed by him, really. And that's the way he got the result and that result's a massive win you know to beat Wilder in America is um, is, is a big result and um, yeah great result for him and uh, and yeah it should be a, should be a big 2024 Where does that leave Dante Wilder? Well a lot of people were saying after that fight we, we can't see him carrying on and we think he'll finish he didn't look right he didn't look big enough and but he's He's um, openly said he wants to carry on, so he's penciling in fights for for this year. So, I think he he's another one. I think he can he can come back, but uh, you know that that defeat will take a lot out of him. But I think we'll still see him there. You know, there. I think he's a he's a fighting man, isn't he? And I don't think he's quite ready to finish yet. So he's still a dangerous man. Mm, I think with boxers, it's knowing when to give it up. And obviously, like you say, he's still hungry. He still wants to right a few wrongs, um, but. Is it is it time for him, do you reckon, to give it all up, or do you think there's more in him? I think there's more in Wilder. Yeah, I think there's still still some big fights out there. I think as as a boxer that they will know roughly when it's time to finish. I think there's always going to be times where the, the a fighter is going to want to carry on, and you know how many boxers we see making comebacks. It happens all the time because they finish and they don't know quite what to do after that. But I think in the in the heart, especially the heavyweight lads, I think they'll know when it's time to to go. Um, after big defeats as well, when blokes have had, had knockouts and things like that. So one one thing is people like Deontay Wilder haven't 
been knocked out that many times badly, have they? So, you know, obviously they take a lot of punishment when they're in there because you're taking a punch off a, a 20 stone bloke. It's a lot different than taking a punch off a nine stone bloke, isn't it? So, um, you know, no disrespect to nine stone bloke, be fighting a nine stone bloke, but you get what I mean, don't you? A 20 stone punch is a lot harder. So, so no, I think I think fighters will know when it's when it's ready for them to go. But I think I think Wilder's still got a few more fights in him, and, and that's what makes the division so uh, so interesting. I think the heavyweight division is the best it's been for uh, for quite a long time. Hmm. And the win for Joseph Parker, obviously against uh, the odds, was it? Yeah, I think so. Definitely, I don't think many people saw that coming. Um, it just shows you what a talented fighter he is. I mean, when he first came on the scene, a lot of people said he was going to be a massive world champion. And I think what's held him back over the years is, is his size. I don't think he's quite big enough to to sort of uh, challenge the likes of Fury because you're talking Fury. It's a massive weight difference that, and, and Fury will use that against you as well. You know, he'll lean on you, he'll, he'll tire you out, and you know it's it's hard to to, to build that. You know, to make that weight, or when you're fighting somebody who's a lot, a lot heavier than you like that, they do, they do grind you down. But I think Park has shown there's, he, he's got some talent there, and I think we've got the fight Fury and Usyk coming up, haven't we? And there's a massive weight difference between those two, um, and I think for me in that one, if Fury wants to beat Usyk, I think rather than using his size there, I think he needs to use his boxing skills because I think. He don't, I don't think he can just lean on, on Usyk and, and grind him down. I think he's too good. I think his footwork's too good. His boxing mouse is too good to, to do that. So I think Fury will have to fight him like he fought Klitschko where he, where, he, where he boxed and moved. I think that's the way to beat Usyk. But that will be a fascinating fight. Yeah, 2024 will, will be a big year for boxing. Which of the boxers that we've talked about, the likes of Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, Deontay Wilder, who's... It's the biggest year for them. Usyk. Mm. We didn't because... mention him. But yeah, I just think he's a he's a world class fighter. Rob, I think he's a fantastic fighter. I think he's he's one of them where you look in his eyes and there's no emotion there with him. There's no bravado. There's no sort of I don't want to say a naughty word here. There's no <laughs> nonsense talks as there are trash talk from him. He gets in there and he does the job. Um, and I think you know his background as well. What his country's gone through. I think he's got an awful lot to prove, and he's a very very dangerous man. Um, and you know that fight against Fury could go either way. I sort of just fancy Usyk to win that, but uh, but no, I think he's got a massive year. He's a special fighter as well. He's fantastic to watch. I think it's a massive year for Anthony Joshua as well. I think that win against Wallin has, has put him back up there. He's built his confidence. I think he can do big things. You know, say he did get that fight against Tyson Fury, that is a massive fight that a lot of non-boxing fans would want to see, wouldn't they? It's a battle of Britain, and I think it's a fight that captures everybody's imagination. So I think Joshua, a big year for him as well. And, you know, uh, the likes of Daniel Dubois, I think a big year for him. He's had some good wins back end of, uh, of 2023, so we'll be looking to push forward as well. Yeah, and obviously all this talk of boxing, no talk of, of Tyson Fury, obviously with his... Uh, you know, victory in his last fight, which was controversial. He'll be wanting to get back to uh, dominating the the heavyweight division. Certainly, well, I think when you get a, a victory like that, where you weren't convincing and there's controversy around it, people start to question you, don't you? And question your ability. And I think if you're that boxer, if you're Tyson Fury, you're probably sat at home now thinking, well, I want to prove him wrong. You know, I don't want people saying I was lucky, and you know, I want to go out there and get a knockout. You know, there's there's no question of a knockout. There's no you can't say he was lucky with a knockout, can you? So everyone can 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 moan about judges' scorecards, but if you put somebody down and put somebody out, you've won the fight, haven't you? So I think that's what he'll be looking for in his next fight, and he'll be looking forward to coming back with a, with a with a bang. And well, he's got the perfect test, hasn't he, against Alexander Usyk? He don't come bigger than that. 
Mm. Let's move on to the darts. Obviously, beginning of the year, it's all dark outside. Darts World Championship on the telly. Um, we know, obviously, when the dart ends, Christmas is over. A lot of people got excited about this year's darts, didn't they? With the, uh, you know, with the young uh, Littler uh, fighting, uh, not fighting, playing darts and competing at the very top. Yeah, I always think it's strange, but it sort of starts at Christmas time and then it goes past New Year and then it, it sort of finishes a few days after New Year and everyone's gone back to work, doesn't it? So, well, I was back at work anyway when the final was on. So, uh, but yeah, I didn't see much of it, but I did read about about the, the lad Littler and he was only being 16 and very, very talented. And, you know, he didn't look 16 when he was on the hockey, when he was when he was playing. He, he looked like he was full of confidence. He looked like he'd been there for years. There was no sort of, um, yeah, there was no um, no nerves with him really, was there? He seemed like a, an absolute natural and, you know, full of talent. And from what I've heard and what I saw, he, he's quite unlucky to, to lose that final, but lost to a, to a really good champion. Yeah, and obviously at 16, it's it's big pressure, but he seemed to be able to take it in his stride and it, it shows how much mental strength he's have to be able to shut out all the noise from the media about him talking about him being 16 and competing. He was able to be able to just go out there and form his natural way. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was a good look to him. I think perhaps being, being 16, he's probably not as worried about the media and he's just took it in his stride and you know just played as if he's in down a down a pub or down a youth club with his mates and that's the way to approach the sport isn't it and he, he's gained a lot of fans as well and you know a lot of um, you know kids around the local area have backed him and got behind him and you know it's good I think it's not like a sport that I follow follow much really darts but I think if it's keeping people entertained it's keeping kids entertained it's getting kids involved uh, getting kids playing playing darts and you know keeping them on the straight straight and narrow, keeping them out of trouble and giving them something to aim for. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> it's uh, no, it's it's all good. So um, I think anything that captures the public's imagination and people enjoy and people have a good time, I'm all for that. So uh, from what I saw, everyone was having a great time and and he was pretty unlucky to to lose that. But he was very magnanimous in defeat. I thought a little when I saw him interviewed on the on the telly and uh, yeah, he's 16. He's He's got years ahead of him, hasn't he? I mean, I know when Phil Taylor was winning all those those trophies, he, he he did it for a long, long time, didn't he? So yeah, sixteen, you've got years in front of you. Yeah, and Luke Humphreys was the uh, the eventual winner, beating yeah. Luke Littler in in the final. And he talks about his mental health issues that he's had and and becoming the world champion and the struggles he's gone through. But like you said, it inspires people to go out and play darts, and uh, and that's what you want. You want you know people to get behind the sport and grow it. And the, the way you get behind that is going to these darts clubs uh, and getting involved. Yeah, certainly, and it's an, an enjoyable sport. I, I wouldn't say I was very good at darts. I've, I've played it in the pub plenty of times, and uh, probably better when I've had a drink, actually. But but no, very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable thing to do. And uh, yeah, and like I said, it, it seems to have captured people's imagination, got them involved, and um, you know, people enjoying themselves. And, and what's what's better than that? Seeing people enjoy themselves, especially young people as well. And um, and yeah, it, I think it was was a great few weeks. Uh, well, whilst that was on the television and. Um, I'm sure Little will come back and congratulate you, Luke Humphrey as well. I believe he's another sort of local guy, isn't he? So uh, it's good that we're uh, it's more more sort of local sport we're doing well at. Yeah. What puzzles me though with uh, with darts is when you're on the hockey, crowd are singing "Sweet Caroline," "Oggy Oggy Oggy Oggy" and all that. But then you've got snooker, similar kind of sport. Yeah. Concentration is needed, and you can't hear a pin drop. If somebody coughs, everyone looks round and tells them to be quiet. It's a weird mix-up. 
Yeah, there was a video I watched, I think it was last year, where somebody uh, trumped in the audience, and that, <laughs> that was uh, that, that sort of got everybody up, didn't it? And uh, I think there was a bit of a hoo-ha about that. Somebody got thrown out, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it seems strange, doesn't it? It's Snooky, you can't you can't do nothing, but um, you know, it, it, it darts you can do what you want, can't you? So it does it does seem because you've got to concentrate darts when you're throwing that arrow, haven't you? So uh, yeah, I've never got that because yeah, Snooker, it's that referee's really keen. He's watching people in the audience, and I don't think you're allowed to move, are you? When someone's taking a shot, you mm. you can't like stand up or you, you've got to be really careful, haven't you? Maybe that might be something that Snooker might want to think about moving in that direction because darts, lots of promo behind it. Everyone has a big, you know, party. Everyone's having fun. Um, you know, they talk about the 80s when Snooker was massive. Uh, maybe they might need to change the culture a little bit to galvanise the uh, the crowd. Yeah, well, like you said, Snooker was massive back then, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, some great characters in the sport. Then I used to watch it um when I used to sleep at my grand's house when I was a little lad, she used to mind me on a Saturday night and she used to have snooker on a black and white television we used to watch her and you, you couldn't really tell what colour the balls were <laughs> but I was always dead excited because it was always on really late at night and she used to let us stay up and watch it so I watched a lot of those finals in the, the late 80s and the 90s with, it always seemed to be Jimmy White that used to get beat in the final we always used to support him stay up all night and he always used to get beat but um, no good times watching snooker and another sport I enjoy as well but like you said it's a sport that's probably, I wouldn't say it's died a death snooker, but it's its not as big as it once was, is it? So um, so I'm not so sure how, how you, there's still some great characters in that sport, you know, like so Ronnie O'Sullivan and, and what have you. So, so yeah, but I, I don't know, I can't see him bringing music into to snooker. One thing I've noticed in snooker is the players come out to music now, like boxers do. I've noticed that at the at the Crucible when it was the World Championship, there were players were coming like down the stairs to, to the favourite music song, which, which did jazz it up a little bit. Yeah, baby steps maybe for uh, snooker. See what happens in the next sort of five years. Let's move it on to Rugby League and we'll start with Swinton Lions. Uh, They have a dual registration now with St. Helens um, and they've got a friendly with them on the 20th of January too. Yeah, well, there's probably not much much of a better club to to have a dual reg with really, is there, St. Helens? Um, They've got some good youngsters coming through there. We we know all about that. We've, We've had plenty of those over the years and Got another one coming in this season as well, haven't we? Uh, from St. Helens. So, so yeah, he's good. It'll help us win that, I'm sure. And, uh, and yeah, the friendly game against against Saints will be a good test for them because their season starts earlier than, you know, the Super League, doesn't it, with the uh, the AB Sundex uh, competition. So, that'll be something they'll be aiming for. No chance to go and play at Wembley. So, yeah, their season will be, be here sooner rather than later now. Mm. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, new coach involved now, getting new players, uh, ladies' teams and, and reserves and everything like that building uh, for them to go forward. Yeah, yeah. And they've signed some good players as well. You know, Jack Stevens has gone there from, from Salford, hasn't he? And uh, one or two others. Alan Kilshaw, new coach, who's been at Unslet and Rochdale on. It's good, good guys. Alan Kilshaw knows the sport inside out. Uh, very good man manager. Uh, I think he'll do a good job there at Swinton. And there's no doubt, we've mentioned it umpteen times, that you know, Swinton are behind the eight ball regarding like finances and, and what have you compared to some of the other big hitters in the championship. But, you know, they'll, they'll be aiming again to, to, to stay up and, and, and get as many points as they can and see where it takes them. And I think it's another exciting season. It's always tough to go to, to Haywood Road and they'll be looking forward to some big games down there. You know, Texas likes a Wakefield down there. Wakefield Trinity, I believe, have sold 5,000 season tickets for the championship. So they're going to have some, some following behind them every week. And Bradford, Bulls, Featherstone Rovers, Halifax. You know, there's some really good contests in there this season. So it should be a really exciting league, that. 
Yep, let's move on to Salford Devils. Uh, they agreed a 12-month extension for their stadium uh, deal. Obviously important with the IMG that Salford continue to play at the Salford Stadium. Obviously they talk about it including a, a, a more uh, longer deal uh, later in the year. Uh, but that's obviously something between uh, the Salford hierarchy and the Salford Council. Yeah, I'm sure that'll get ironed out, Rob. I, I'm no doubts about that. But it's good to get this this sorted out now. You didn't want that hanging over the over the club at the start of the season. It's all full steam ahead now. Got a friendly game against St. Helens coming up in uh, at the start of February. So uh, and I, I believe the players are going to Portugal for pre-season training as well. I know the reserves are going to Cumbria. I think I, I was talking to. Uh, Alex Davidson from the reserves. I met him in Starbucks the other Saturday. He was in there with his uh, with his young son, and I was in there with my dog, and we had a really good conversation for about an hour actually about um, about their training camp. And he was telling me what was going on. So uh, this is really exciting times there. And he was saying how how good the side are looking in training. And I believe the first team have been playing the reserves, you know, to get the get themselves ready for the season. So he was really excited about it, and uh, you know things things are going well. So um, yeah, we're looking forward to it all starting now, aren't we? Yeah, and they talk about uh, the East Stand being available for sta- uh, for, mm. for fans. Um, you know that side of the field hopefully generate a lot more interest. Uh, you know, atmosphere wise. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it'd be great to see you know really good crowds at Salford next season, and hopefully we can get a good start if we can go to Leeds and get a win on that opening game and and really start building things. You know, you got the summer homes coming. You know, good weather. And, and it could really take off, couldn't it? So uh, we've got some good players there in the side as well. So it's going to be difficult. There's no doubt about that. We've not got a massive squad and I know a lot of pundits have wrote Salford off already. But I think Paul Rowley will, will have that siege mentality. You know, he'll, he'll have it instilled in the players. That, you know, people are writing us off again. And I think one thing, I mean, we've mentioned it, me and you, and we've chatted, is that Salford have signed a lot of a lot of good people, haven't they? Good hard workers, good trainers, and that's one thing Alex Davidson was saying to me. They're not there's no egos in that side. The the people who want to work and want to work hard and you know, they're always on the training pitch, people staying behind to do extra. And and you can't you can't buy that. So um, if you've got that together and that team spirit, that could take you a long way. So uh, I think Paul Roll has made some really, really astute signings. Yeah. So big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salt City Radio, and we'll see you soon for more Salt Sport and Chat on your Sports Zone. <laughs>